0: who wins the competition tonight, and that is exciting. The rest of you, if you would find the book of Philippians in your Bibles, please. The book of Philippians in the Word of God. Philippians chapter 3 is where we'll be. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I got an opportunity to witness to a man today. I was in a little little store down in Sioux Falls. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Shields. And uh, so I was there, and something, uh, in the will of God, I was drawn to the gun section of Shields. I just believe that that's where the Lord wanted me to be. And, you know, one fellow just decided, he didn't know me from Adam's house, Cat. He just decided to strike up a conversation. And so we were talking, by the way, the shelves at Shields were just packed with ammunition I've never seen it like that in my life I don't know if they unloaded the truck today I don't know what it was and it may not be there now now that everybody's gotten off work in Sioux Falls but uh it was pretty amazing so one thing led to another and by the time we were done I got to give him the gospel of Jesus Christ what a what a joy what a blessing that is and uh but I think his pastor Forsberg wrote a tract about just go fishing you know (laughs) A lot of people don't catch fish for one reason, they don't go fishing. It's just that simple. And so I've been, I got up this morning and I said, dear Lord, I've got to be able to talk to somebody today. Lord, open the doors. And so God did that. What an exciting thing that was. Philippians chapter three is where we are. Notice what the Bible says in verse 17. Philippians three and verse 17. The Bible says, brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Father, I pray that You'd help us as we look into the Word of God this evening. Lord, we need Your help. We need You to quiet every distraction inside this building and outside. Father, we need You to direct our attention upon the Word of God. And that's what that's our prayer this evening. I pray that You'd speak to every heart. I pray, Father, that You would uh, do the work that needs to be done in our hearts and lives. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says here, as he's going down and giving an admonition to the Philippians, there is a very clear reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see it there? It's right there beginning in verse 20. The Bible says our conversation is in heaven. The word conversation is a word that refers to political citizenship. It means, I'm not a citizen primarily of the United States, I'm a citizen primarily of heaven. What does that mean? Well, that means, as the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You understand, uh, there's many things that I love to do while while I'm in the state of South Dakota. But there's something I've never done in all my travels through this state. And that is, I've never picked up a real estate brochure. Number one, because I probably wouldn't be able to afford real estate in this state. Everybody around the country right now is speaking in hushed, reverent tones about the state of South Dakota. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's a fact. And, uh, and uh, so I probably wouldn't be able to afford the real estate here. But I've never picked up a real estate brochure because I know this, whatever good there may be in this state, I'm just passing through on my way to someplace else. And my friend, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, that's true of you. Whether you live in South Dakota or Minnesota or or any any place in the world, if you know Jesus Christ, don't grab onto the things of the world too tightly because you're just a pilgrim. You're just passing through. And so the Bible says our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Now as we read these words, we are reminded of a very important New Testament truth. And that is this, Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Now, Pastor Yoder, when I was a boy, it seemed like everybody in our circles believed that. It seemed like you couldn't go into the Sunday school wing of an independent Baptist church without seeing some kind of chart that said something like this, God's plan for the ages. And in seeing those charts, God's plan for the ages, one of the many things that they talked about was the fact that the rapture could happen at any moment. What is the rapture? The rapture is the time when the trump of God sounds. And the Bible says we will, we who are alive and remain are going to join those that have died having placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's going to be a reunion together. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And so we understand that there is nothing that need take place before that trumpet will sound. I don't know when it's going to sound. You don't know when it's going to sound, but we know this all of the Bible characters of the New Testament were looking for the coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what the Bible says. You, you need not turn here, but listen to this. The Bible says in Acts 1 and verse 11, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which was taken up from you, shall so come again in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Why, that promise was so much on the minds of Simon Peter that by the time he penned the first general epistle of Peter in 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, he made this statement. He said, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope, to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter grabbed onto that promise given to him by the angel on that mountain the day Jesus ascended and he went to his dying day thinking, this may be the day when our Lord returns. Not only Simon Peter, but the Bible says in in James chapter 5 and verse 8, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord draweth Nine. Here was James, a first century Christian. He was one of the first to be martyred. And yet James could say, every day I get up in the morning and I understand that the coming of our Lord is very near. James, Peter, the Apostle Paul, they were looking for the Lord Jesus to come in their lifetimes. We're speaking of a doctrine called the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That means it could happen at any moment. You don't know the time. I don't know the time. But we know it's going to be soon. The Bible says in Revelation 20, and verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Behold, I are truly I come quickly. Amen. John said, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. There's Peter, there's James, there's John. Each one of these men heard that promise on the Mount of Olives that day, and they understood. Jesus Christ is coming, and it could be today. I don't know what it is, Pastor Forsberg, but somewhere along the line, it seems that some men in our circles have have seeded ground on this area of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. That's a sad thing. You can you can uh, talk to otherwise good men, and they're gonna they're gonna talk to you about uh, you know they, they can preach about the, the they can they can preach about some wonderful Bible themes. They can preach about surrender and preach about holiness, and wonderful Bible themes. But when it gets to this matter of the imminent return of Christ, there are some that have backpedaled and said, "Well, you know, things are looking kind of bad. Maybe the Lord Jesus might not return at any moment." But I got to tell you, I, as I come to the Bible, I see more and more evidence of these. These two truths. Number one, the disciples anticipated Jesus' return. And number two, you and I are to anticipate Jesus' return. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. He said to this problem ridden church, so that she come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Corinthian church, we got a lot of problems to fix, but I want you to understand something. You and I need to be waiting and looking for the coming of Of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 9 and 10. The Bible says this. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had to you. How that ye turn to God from idols to serve the living God. Boy that's a great, great verse of scripture. You turn to God from your idols with the purpose of serving the living God. But Pastor Yoder it doesn't stop there. The sentence doesn't be, doesn't end with verse 9. He goes on to verse 10. You turned to God from idols to do two things. Number one, serve the living and true God. And number two, you got saved to wait for His Son from heaven. That's why you got saved. So that you could serve God, but also so that you could anticipate the day that Jesus Christ comes back. Wow. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. I want, to, I want you to notice several things in the Bible that are tied to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. If I could put it this way, I would I would say that we were going to answer this question. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. So what? Okay, Jesus Christ could come at any moment. What's the big deal? How is my life supposed to be different? Just because Jesus Christ could come at any moment, any moment, what am I supposed to do? Well, we're here in Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul has mentioned the imminent return of Christ. I want you to notice a concept in the immediate context that is tied to the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now, go up to verse 17. We've read it, but let's revisit it if we may. The Bible says, Be ye followers together of me. And Mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now notice verse 17 again. He says, be ye followers together of me. Now, he's going to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming soon, but the command that he gives in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon has to do with following. You understand something? There are two applications in this and passage for you and for me. Number one, you ought to find a godly example and you ought to follow that person. That's what he's saying. Why should you do that? Because the Lord Jesus is coming back. You don't know when He's coming. I don't know when He's coming. But the Bible says very plainly that you and I are to find an example that we should follow. To the Philippian believers, the Apostle Paul said, I want you to follow Me. I want you to follow Me. And furthermore, he said, I want you to mark... Them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. What is he saying? There's times I'm not going to be there. So when I'm not there, you find another example, a godly Christian whose life you can pattern yours after. That's a great idea. And listen, we've had we've had two extremes in 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 our movement over the years. Okay, on the one hand, there was a there was a a, a shift toward hero worship, and that's a mistake. Can I just have you understand every person that you can name other than Jesus Christ is going to fail you. That's just the way it is. So you can name some great preacher that has touched your life and God bless him, God bless the, the influence that person has had on your life, but understand, you, you, you can't elevate that person to, the, to, to a hero worship status because you're going to doom yourself to disappointment. That's just the way it is. But, some people have said, well, there ought not be hero worship and there maybe was hero worship in our movement in days gone by, who's to say? So we go over here, we say, well, we don't want any hero worship at all, and so I, I just look at the Bible for myself and I don't look at anybody. Well, that's a mistake too. Because very plainly in the Bible here, God says that you and I are to be finding examples that we can follow. So the first, the first, uh, the first application of this passage of Scripture is this, find an example to follow. The second application of this passage is implied, and it's this, be an example. That people follow. Be the example. I mean there's going to be times when uh, when uh, somebody's going to look around for an example and they're going to and their minds point to you. Maybe you know that they point to you. Maybe you don't know that they point to you, but point to you they're going to and so you're going to have to understand there are people right now patterning their lives after me and the way I respond in faith and the way I serve God and the way I study my Bible and the way I'm faithful to the house of God. Those are a pattern for somebody and I probably don't even even know who it is the Bible says very plainly in the context of the imminent return of Jesus Christ that there needs to be an aspect of following in our lives maybe I'm the one that is the example maybe I'm the one that finds the example either way the fact that Jesus is coming again that's a big part of it first Corinthians 4 16 the apostle Paul put it this way wherefore I beseech you be ye followers of me I wonder, could you say that to people in all good conscience? I want you to follow me. That doesn't elevate yourself to a level of grand poobah somewhere. That just, that just says, look, God has worked in my life, and as long as I'm following God, I want you to follow me. What a scary thing to say. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. That's not the only time he said it. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Be ye therefore followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. The Bible says that you be not slothful, but be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 13 and verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. And here it is. Whose faith follow? So my friend, because Jesus is coming again, there's a following aspect that is tied to that truth. I want to ask you, who are you following tonight? Who are you following? And let me tell you that one of the greatest dangers when we put that out there, one of the greatest dangers that when I ask that question today is that people answer that question with a personality on a podcast, on a YouTube channel, or the radio or television. And let me just tell you, you better be careful with that. You can if you're gonna be influenced and you're gonna count somebody as your pastor from a long distance away. Well, you just you you just better hope that you never get sick. Because the guy from where the guy from Nevada is not gonna come visit you in the hospital. He's just not. That podcast personality that you may be following, they're not they're they're not gonna be there when you when your child dies. They're not gonna be there they're not going to be there on the, in those difficult moments of life and I'm going to tell you we've got a personality a, a contest that often goes on today and the pastor has to compete with every single person in the entire country that ever opens a Bible and pretends to preach but let me just have you to understand you better follow the local man of God that God has given you because it is that local man of God that watches for your soul it is that local man of God that prays for you it is that local man of God that's going to be there when you're in the hospital, when you're sick, when you're having a problem, when you need some help, you better understand, you better learn to put your local pastor above every single other influence in your life. But who are you following? And then, what kind of an example are you for those that are following you, because we can't talk about the imminent return of Jesus Christ without talking about this this matter of following. I want you to notice the second uh, principle. It's found in the book of Colossians. You're not far from there. Would you please flip to the book of Colossians, chapter three. Colossians chapter three. Note what the Bible says. Colossians chapter three. We're going to read the verses that promise the return of Jesus Christ. It says in verse one, "If ye then be risen with Christ." Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now here's the promise of the second coming. Ready? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. So there, we have a promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to appear. We're going to be raptured. We're going to appear with Him. That's what it's talking about in verse 4. Now note verse 5. Mortify, therefore. So on the basis of the promise of the imminent return of Jesus Christ, you and I are supposed to kill some things. That's what the word mortify means. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He gives a list here of sins of the flesh. And he says that you and I are to mortify our members which are upon the earth. And, 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 and I, I guess I would put it this way. In light of the fact that Jesus could come at any moment, not only should there be a following because he's coming, but there ought to be a fight because he's coming. Now I'm not speaking of a fight on the political realm. Although it I, I don't I don't know. I, I look at our nation and I think this is gonna to come to blows sooner or later. I don't know when it's gonna to come to blows, and I'm sure I'm certainly not trying to, to lead a lead an army or start an I'm I'm not into that, but you can only push people so far. I look at the poor Australians and they're they're coming to blows right now. They're doing, they're staging protests. Why? Because you can only push people so far. Eventually they say enough is enough and they can't take it anymore. How long is that going to be in the United States? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And I suppose it's not, it's not for me to talk about. So I'm not talking about a political struggle, but I'm talking about a personal struggle. I'm talking about a struggle that you and I face on a daily basis and that is the struggle with our flesh. You know what we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to coddle our flesh. We have a tendency to give in to the flesh and kind of make the flesh happy at certain levels. Maybe not, maybe not when we're in the house of God, or maybe not when we're reading our Bibles or something like that, but we all have a tendency to kind of give the flesh a little bit. Can Can I tell you something? The Bible says that our flesh is the enemy of God, and because Jesus is coming again, it's not the time to give the flesh more opportunity, it's the time to realize we're in a fight with this flesh, it's time to mortify our members which are upon the earth. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, if you were to come to my home in Mississippi, go out my back door, and by faith walk down the teetering, tottering steps that are are on the back deck of my house that need to be replaced, and I haven't gotten gotten home long enough to get that done. If you were to go down there, you would then see as you went down into our backyard that half the time is a swamp because it all drains down there and it breeds mosquitoes. But anyway, if you were to look at that and go to the right-hand side, you would see a large outbuilding. I didn't put it there. It was there when I bought the house. But inside that outbuilding... It's my woodworking shop. Now, I enjoy working with wood. I'm not the best at it by any means. But uh, I do enjoy working with wood. And that means one thing. Tools. Tools. That's right. Now, men, I'm going to help you tonight. It's only a matter of time before your wife comes to you with a honeydew list. Well, you know, sweetheart, you've got a little bit of time off work. I wonder, can you? And then here comes the list. Now the way to respond to that is say, sweetheart I'd love to I'd love to fulfill this list, but you have to understand I'm going to need a new tool here and a new tool here and a new tool there, and watch how the list shortens <laughs> but you know what that's actually worked for me sweetheart, I can build you a bed I know you want this bed, it costs a lot of money, but I'm going to need some tools. <laughs> I can build you this, I can make this for you, that's fine, but I'm going to need some tools. Let me tell you, I love tools. I'm looking at a tool on eBay right now. My wife has no idea, but I'm looking at a tool right now. I'm going to have to drive from my home uh, outside of Memphis, Tennessee, up to greater St. Louis to pick it up if I win the bid on eBay. So I'm praying about it, all right? I just don't know, but uh, that tool may, if I win the bid, come back to my home in Mississippi. And, And we men love tools. I mean, maybe there's a man that's doesn't love tools. Maybe there's a man that says, well, you know, I'd just rather take the piece of wood and scrape it with my bare hand. No, I, but I don't think so. Most men that I know, they love their tools. Even if you're Amish and you can't have... Well, a lot of Amish people I know love power tools. How does that work? But they love them. I mean, you can't have electricity to your house in many Amish communities, but you sure can have it in your shop. And there they go, you know. And uh, but, but we love tools. We understand that. You know, what, you know what the Bible is saying in Romans chapter 6? That I can be a tool for God. That's what he says. Listen to the wording again. Listen carefully. Yield yourselves unto God and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. What's he saying? An instrument is just a tool. That's what an instrument is. We have an instrument here. This instrument here is a piano and it is capable of making music that nobody in this room could make unless they had this instrument. It also helps know how to play the instrument, but <laughs> you, you couldn't make that music with just what you have been given by God alone. You need an instrument in order to do what you want to do musically. Likewise, this instrument is similar. And you know, you know, ladies and gentlemen, God can do whatever He wants with whatever He wants, but the reality is He invites you and He invites me to surrender our members so that they can be His instruments. They can be His tools. Wow. That only happens when we crucify the flesh. Romans chapter eight puts it this way. He says in, in verse twelve, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. We're debtors to live after the spirit. We owe the flesh nothing. We owe God everything. That's what he's saying. The Bible puts it this way. Simon Peter says in First uh, Peter two and verse one and verse eleven. Excuse me, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So much has happened since this date that you may not remember what happened. But the year the year was 2020, the date January the 3rd. You remember what happened on January the 3rd, 2020? January the 3rd, 2020, we awakened to news coming from halfway around the world. There, outside the Baghdad airport, we received news that a man who had declared war on the United States of America many years before was now dead. He was victim, he was he was taken out by the United States military under the command of then President Donald Trump. He was taken out by a missile and the American forces went in and confirmed that in fact he was dead. It was a man by the name of Qasem Soleimani, remember him? Kassam Soleimani, remember that name? He, he was an Iranian that had said, we are declaring war on the United States of America. Sadly, prior to the president who ordered the airstrike that took him out, there were many presidents that wanted to coddle those kinds of people. They wanted to placate those kinds of people. They wanted to, they wanted to kind of compromise with those kind of people. But you know, you couldn't do that with Soleimani. You know why? Because in his mind, he was at war with the United States of America. And when there's someone that's at war with you, you don't coddle them, you don't give in, you don't know, you, you deal with them in a very bellicose manner, you take them out. Do you understand tonight, Christian? Your flesh and mine are warring against us. And because Jesus could come at any minute, you and I, for the fight as if we are in warfare against this flesh. I want you to go in your Bible to the book of First Thessalonians. Can we go there please? First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians speaks again about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ could come in any moment. What does it mean for you and for me? According to Philippians chapter 3, the fact that Jesus could come in any moment, it means there ought to be a following in our lives. According to the book of Colossians chapter 3, there ought to be a fight in our lives. A fight not with each other, but against the flesh that wants to rule and rise up again and control us. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, notice what the Bible says in speaking of in verse 1. He says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Now watch verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, the whole context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 going all the way through into chapter 5 talks about the imminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Much of the doctrine of the rapture comes from the details given us in this, on this greater context. And so in this context, the Apostle Paul says, hey, it's going to take everybody else by surprise, but you're looking for it. Therefore, notice verse 5 again, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Here's what he's saying. Jesus could come at any moment. What does it mean? It means there ought to be a following in your life and in mine. It means there ought to be a fight in your life and in mine. Number three, it means there ought to be a focus in your life and in mine we're not to sleep, we're not to be lackadaisical, but we are to be watching and we are to be sober. The word means serious. You and I are to take the things of God seriously. What's he talking about? He's talking about a focus. A focus that is razor sharp and says that you and I need to be paying attention and to be looking for the fact that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. That's what he means. He puts it this way in the epistle to Titus, the Bible says in Titus chapter 3 in verse 13, looking, excuse me, 2 in verse 13, looking for that blessed hope at the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I have reached the period in my life where it has been my duty to train teenagers to drive. Did you have to do that, Pastor? That duty fell on me. My daughter complains that her mother screeches too much when she is trying to teach her to drive. And I don't know if it's true or not. I try to be out of the vehicle when those those wonderful mother-daughter teaching times exist. But I will tell you this. it, It can be a shocking thing. I was teaching my son to drive and I made this determination. I said, I'm not going to have a son who does not know how to operate a vehicle with a manual transmission. Right? We have a generation today, they don't know, clutch, what does that do? You mean I can't just mash the brake? No, 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 you've got to use the clutch. You've got to know something about the engine. And so I decided I'm going to teach my son how to drive them all with one fell swoop. That sounded really tough on paper. That sounded really good, Brother Motter. But in the inner workings of it, you understand, I don't live on a farm. There's not. you got to drive a long way where I live to get to a farm. Now that's a sad thing, all right? That's a sad thing, especially when you're trying to teach somebody to drive. So my son had to learn to drive in a subdivision. It was a, it was a frightening day when he was driving along, trying to figure out how to feather the clutch just right, how to get the balance of letting off the clutch and giving it the fuel that it needed. He was trying to figure all that out when his focus became on the pedals instead of the road. And what was the result of that? I'm not making this up. The result of that was we jumped the curb and drove through someone's front lawn. You say, whose front lawn? I have no idea. Never met him before in my life. They live, I don't know, five, six blocks from us in the subdivision. And I thought to myself, wow, that just happened. My truck was just seen driving through some random guy's lawn. He happened to have a corner lot, and I, I don't know what was happening. I think, I suspect, my son was trying to figure out the clutch. What happened? Well, for a brief moment in time, Brother Forsberg, his focus got off where it was supposed to be. Now, I'm happy to report that no children were playing in the yard. That would have been bad. I'm happy to report that no dear lady was weeding her flower beds. When he pulled through, I, I, that would have been bad. Now, he would not have come close to hitting them, but uh, if some random stranger all of a sudden drives a pickup truck through your front lawn without any warning, it's a little bit unnerving if the first thing you do is, ah, what are you doing? I don't even think the people were home, thank the Lord for that. But the the reality is that our focus affects the direction and, and it affects what we're doing. Understand something, that is no more true than in the spiritual realm. And the Bible says that you and I are to be looking for that blessed hope. Because Jesus Christ could come again at any moment, there ought to be a focus in our minds. Yes, I'm serving God, but could it be today? Yes, I'm trying to see people saved, but could it be today? Yes, I'm ministering to the needs of other believers, but could it be today? Yes, I'm studying the Word of God, but could it be today? Yes, I'm spending time in prayer but could it be today? Do you understand how that, how that focus directs our thinking? Just like it does when we're behind the wheel of a vehicle. Jesus is coming again. What does it mean? It means for you and for me, it means a following. It means a fight. It means a focus. I want you to find the book of Revelation, please, in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We spoke briefly of the letters to the seven churches of Asia and obviously Revelation chapter 3 is one of these specific messages. The specific message here is to the church in Philadelphia. Note what the Bible says in verse 7. The Bible says unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Interesting to see how God describes Himself to each of these seven churches. This is the church of the open door. God says, I'm the one that opens, and when I open, nobody shuts. And when I shut, nobody opens. What a, what a, what a description of our God. The Bible says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Oh, let me tell you, church, in the midst of these dark days, as we see and hear of more and more problems that seem to be coming down the pipe, I want you to understand we serve a God that when he opens the door, there is no government agency that can shut it. And uh, that's what he said to the church at Philadelphia. Uh, He said, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and Thou hast kept My word and hast not denied My name. Wow, what a, what a tremendous message. The Bible says verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of, of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before Thy feet and to know that I have loved Thee. Now watch verse 10. Because Thou hast kept the word of My patience... I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now watch verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. You see it there? Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, very obviously, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, we have a promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. It it, uh, harks to the fact that you and I don't know when He's going to come, but it could be today. He says, I come quickly. What does that mean? That means you better be ready because it might be today, it might be tomorrow, but it's going to be soon. That's the promise that He gives us here. And on the basis of that promise, back up to verse 10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. You know what I think He's highlighting in verse 10? He is saying to this church at Philadelphia, Philadelphian church, I'm coming quickly. And because I'm coming quickly, I want to highlight your faithfulness. And I want to hold up your faithfulness for all to see. You see, because Jesus is coming again, there ought to be a following according to Philippians chapter 3. Because Jesus is coming again, there ought to be a fight according to Colossians chapter 3. Because Jesus is coming again, there ought to be a focus according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And because Jesus is coming again, there ought to be a faithfulness according to Revelation chapter 3. This is a fascinating verse to me. Proverbs 24 and verse 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. You ever been tempted to faint? You ever been tempted to give up, lose heart? I'm a southern boy. I I don't know much about real cold. And for a short time, my family and I moved to the state of Indiana. And there we had a house for a while. We found a very economically depressed area of the country. And we, we located there, believing it to be the will of God. But we could also afford a home there. That was kind of a new thing. And so it was there that we were living when I told my wife in the late deer season in a Dece- on a December morning, I said, sweetheart, I'm going out and I'm going to do some deer hunting. Now, compared to what you sometimes see in South Dakota, this is not all that cold. But on this particular morning in Indiana, the temperature was three. Count them. One, two, three. Three Three degrees. And I went out there and uh, I bundled up with all the clothes that I had. I had a great big pack on. I was going to public land and I was going to be deer hunting on public land. Those days, public land in Indiana was just, it it was almost like hunting in downtown New York City because there were so many people. The state of Indiana had gotten written up as one of the big buck states of the Midwest and there were, on opening day, and that particular spot, there were 1,100 hunters that descended on this one piece of ground. Now, I had no idea. I was not there on opening day. I was elsewhere hunting on opening day. But this was in the late season. Which means that all the wildlife were absolutely scared out of their wits. And at the sight of any man, they ran for cover! And that certainly included the white-tailed deer. Well, it was the late muzzleloader season. I thought, well, we'll see if we can... I had limited out in other counties. I was no longer allowed to kill kill deer in the counties where I normally hunted. And so I thought, well, I'll go up to this county. We'll see what we can do. Well, I got out, it was a clear sky overhead. It was three degrees. It was colder than your mother-in-law's love. You've heard of that expression before. And so I got out and uh, and I went off on this hunt and I, I hiked, and hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked. And man, it was uh, it was quite a day. I didn't see any deer in the morning, but then I found another spot. I found what I thought to be some uh, feeding area. I thought they'll come out there in the afternoon. And sure enough, they did. But man, I was at a distance of about 100 yards. I went like this and man, that deer was gone and that was the end of that. Well, then, after that, the sun went down, and uh, it had warmed up. It had warmed up to about twenty degrees that day, but the temperature was dropping fast. It was again a clear sky, and a, a a breeze began to blow up. the 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 property where I was hunting adjoined a lake there, and so the breeze was blowing across that lake. And I got to tell you, it was cold, cold, cold. I got all the way back to my truck, having hiked at this point. Um, I think I'd hiked about 11 miles that day. But, but I'd run into some problems. You are aware, I'm sure, that when you're out in the cold, you need a lot of food to keep your body temperature up. Okay, You know that in South Dakota. I was a southern boy. I didn't know anything like that. And I did, not to worry, I had food, I had water. It was frozen, but I could, you know, <coughs> try to break it up as best I could. But uh, I had, I had food and water on my pack. So, round about the middle of the day, Brother Anthony, I unzipped my pack and reached in there, and there was nothing there. I thought, oh no. I had intentionally put all kinds of things in there. There was a there was a balance of fatty foods and carbohydrates and things that I thought would help me to get the energy that I needed if I were in the cold and I was hunting all day and the only thing that was in there was a little pack of almonds. I ate every last almond. And I opened it up and <laughs> took all the crumbs and emptied it too because I was hungry. I went all day long. By the time I had gotten back to the truck, having hiked about, I spoke i don't, I don't know how long it was. I know, the, I know what the total was for the day, but I don't know how long it was at this point. But I got back to my truck. All my gear was put in the truck. and I thought, okay, fine. We're back to the truck. I can head on back home to my warm house and see my wife and take my little children in my arms. Everything will be well, well with the world. And I reached into my pocket to grab my truck keys that are always there. And they weren't in my pocket. I began looking at all the pockets of my coat. I, I began looking at pockets in my pants. Man, what do you mean I don't have my keys? But my keys weren't there. By this time, the temperature was about, oh, I don't, I don't know, it was maybe 13 or something like that, but it was getting colder fast. And so I said, oh man, now what am I going to do? In the good grace of God, the moon had risen. And there was a fresh coat of snow there on the ground. Furthermore, I could track myself because I could recognize my own boot print in the snow. Not a problem. I'll just track myself and we'll figure out where those keys were. So everything at this point was going well, but then I made a very foolish decision. Having walked from the backside of this property, I can't remember how many hundred acres it was, but having walked from the backside of this property, I think it was 1100 now that I remember, but having walked all the way back to the truck, I was a little bit, I was a little bit overheated. And I thought, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just gonna take this off because I'm a little too hot. And I took my coat off and I laid it in the truck. Now, I was out walking and I was trailing myself. Well, the trailing myself, it wasn't hard at all. The light of the moon shining on the snow, I could follow my boot prints. And I went all the way back. You know, my keys had fallen out on the farthest point from the truck that I had, that I had ever been that day. I found my keys. Picked them up and put them in my pocket. And the cold was starting to get to me. And I was tired. I'd been walking a long ways. By the end of the day, I think I did 16 miles, I calculated that day, hiking, and all I'd had to eat all day long was just that little pack of almonds. Well, I had my keys now in my pocket. The wind was blowing. My my head was getting cold. My body was losing heat and I could feel it. And I looked there was a choice: I could go this way, which was flatter, but it was longer, or I could go this way, which was a more direct route to the truck, but there were a lot of hills involved. So I decided, well, i'm going to take the hilly route, and I began to walk and began to hike. I, I have never in all my life faced anything physically where I so wanted to stop and rest. I got up, went up this big hill and uh I didn't know there were hills in the state of Indiana, but this was a pretty big one. And I, I got up the hill, you know, and all of a sudden I found myself in the woods. I looked over to my left and I could see all kinds of deer highlighted there. They knew where to get out of the wind. I got up there, the wind was blocked, and I thought, man, I'm out of the wind here. You know what I ought to do? I ought to just lie down for a moment and just rest and shut my eyes and take a little But dressed as I was, Brother Rich, I don't know if I would have ever woke up. Now well, Maybe I would have. Maybe I would have been fine. But while my body was moving, it was producing heat. Once it stopped moving, that heat would be gone. And I remember thinking back to my time in hunter safety course. They said, you know, when whenever that urge comes on you, don't stop moving. You've got to keep going. Never in my life have I ever struggled with the desire to quit like I want to do right now. But I did. I kept, I, I kept going. I decided, oh, I want to rest, I want to stop. I'm so weary, I'm so tired, I haven't had anything to eat. Just a little bit of rest in the tree under the tree. Just a little bit of rest out of that biting, slicing wind. Just a little bit of time there. What can it possibly hurt? But then there was the rational side that said, Don't you dare rest until you get home. And it was a wonderful. Wonderful moment when I finally had the truck come into view. Got in the truck, shut the door, turned the motor on. Thank God it was a Dodge, it was a Chevy. It may not have have cranked, who knows. But anyway, turned the key over and up it roared and away we went. It wasn't very long before the, the heat of the truck was all around me. I got back to my home. My wife had homemade pizza waiting for me. I walked in the doors of my house. It was warm. It was nice. And I collapsed into, into a chair in the kitchen. The warmth was all around me, but as I as I picked up my pizza, I couldn't keep my hand from shaking. It. I don't know why I was shaking. Maybe there's somebody with more medical knowledge than I, but I couldn't control it. But I know this. The time to rest is not until you get. In my mind, to the day I die, I will go home thinking, I nearly died that day. I nearly died because there was something within me that said, you don't need to keep on keeping on. You can rest a little while. If I nearly died from that, I can say this, the only reason I'm alive today is because I didn't quit. I got home. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know. I don't know how close you and I are to home. Maybe we're closer than we think. But I do know this, because our Lord could come back at any moment, we cannot abandon a life of faithfulness. We cannot quit or give up till we get home. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to look into your word.